Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Welcome, welcome and happy holidays if you're listening to this when it comes out. This is a fantastic episode, so much fun, so, so common. I hope you'll love it. I hope you'll enjoy it. One quick thing, if you're one of those people who has a CE budget that runs out at the end of the year and it's use it before you lose it, gang, this is a great time to grab an Uncharted online membership. Head over to UnchartedVet.com and register for a year of Uncharted. You'll be in our online community. It's the community that we're always talking about. You'll have access to all of our resources. You can watch the live stream from our conferences. You can watch the watch parties where we watch uh, workshops that have been filmed together. You can be in our intensive courses. Uh, Stephanie Goss and I have a strategic planning intensive course that goes on for a month. It's only for our members. We'll be starting in a couple of weeks. Uh, Steph and I are doing our communications course in October. She just finished up her financial management class that was five weeks with uh, the incredible uh, Jen Galvin, who is also a practice management rock star. And so we've got a lot of other stuff coming down the pipelines. We do a lot of intensive courses. Just grab on, dude. You're going to lose that money if you don't spend it. Go ahead, get yourself a membership. You'll be super glad that you did. You can also get staff passes for your staff, but only if you're a member. That's right. That means your staff can get into our online school and see all of our stuff. And it's a super cheap price for staff members, but they're only able to get memberships if you are a member to uh, buy it for them. So gang, that's what we got. Head over to UnchartedVet.com, grab your spot for 2020, make it the best year ever, and let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me and my co-host, the apple of my eye, Stephanie. Here's a quarter called Someone Who Cares God. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> um, How's it going, Andy? It's good. I'm having, I'm having some stress. Because the uh, the recording timer wasn't working when I just started recording. And I'm like, is this recording? So we may do this whole podcast. And I'll be like, hey, Steph, none of it recorded. And we'll have to do it all again. <laughs> we can kind of say the- whatever we want. Because I this is probably never going to reach anyone's ears. Well, and it wouldn't be the first time that you or I had a technology fail trying to do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. How are you doing? How are things, how are things at, your, at your end? Uh, things are good. Things are crazy, crazy busy. I am, um, you know, we're getting ready to hopefully knock on wood, have some new doctors joining the practice here in the next few months, which is super exciting. Um, and I've been spending some time with some of the vet students at, uh, Washington state, uh, university's vet school. I just did an event with those guys with their VBMA and got to meet a bunch of students and spend some time with them. Cause we have, uh, one of their current graduating seniors, hopefully joining our practice. So super, super exciting. Lots of fun stuff guys. happening. Pullman, Washington is beautiful. I've got, I've been up there a couple of times for their graduation and they're just wonderful students, uh, but it's a totally. great school. And gosh, in in gosh golly, in <laughs> May, it's super duper gorgeous. It is beautiful. It is tiny. It was my first time ever ever being out there, and it is it is beautiful. Um, it was a, it was a lot of fun. It's, it's a good group. It's it, it is crazy. It's we're recording this is that time of year where um, the schools are wrapping up for mm-hmm. the holidays, and so we had. We had a a sixth grade mixer 
What? A what? <laughs> a sixth grade mixer. So, um, I, it, my, my daughter didn't ask me about the mixer. What she did is she came and she's like, I'm, I need to go to this and I need you to sign it. And so she gave me this permission form and there's a sixth grade mixer. And, um, it says we're having a mixer. It ends at five 30. If your okay. child is not picked up by five 45, they will not be allowed to attend mixers in the future. <laughs> And you have to sign it saying that, I guess you it's a combination of kid. your kid can go to the mixer, but then I will be there to get my kid by 545. <laughs> and I, I was like, man, these guys are not messing around. Like they want your kid gone in a 15 minute window. And it made me think about all the times in the vet clinic where I was like, all right, so, uh, so we close at six. You need to pick your pet up from surgery between five and five thirty. Uh-huh. And then it's 558. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. they're coming in the door to get, or or it's six o'clock and they're not there and I'm standing there waiting. And I understand why that form exists. And I just I just imagine for a moment a permission slip that pet owner signed that said pick your pet up between five and five thirty. If you fail to pick your pet up, you will not be allowed to have surgery in the future. And I thought that that might be something that would work. Oh my God. That's, that's so funny. But you know what? I, I understand why that form exists. Cause I'm, I, I mean, I think all of us that are parents in vet med have been that parent at some point in time where I I've been at the clinic and something walks through the door or there's some emergency as I'm literally trying to walk towards the back door to sneak out and go get my kid. And there's something that happens. And then I look at my watch and I'm like, Oh, you know, and then you go and you're, you know, 15 or 20 minutes late and your poor kid is standing outside with their teacher waiting. (laughs) waiting, Oh yeah. Oh, that, that teacher standing next to your child is the guilt knife. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, I think every parent has had that. Oh yeah. It's like our deepest shame is that time that your child is either sitting alone, (laughs) but it's worse when the teacher is with them because like when they're sitting alone, you feel bad. But when the teacher is there, yeah. you just read their face and they're like, I'm witnessing your failure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and bless their hearts. I mean, I have so much love and deep appreciation for the adults in my children's lives because I feel like I'm in this season of life where between the kids' activities and things in the clinic and juggling all of the stuff and the things like – I am that parent more often than not. And I always pull up and the t- whether it's the teacher or my poor kid, I mixed up days and I was thinking she had gym until 730 and I, she, they were done at seven and her coach is standing outside with her at 730 waiting for me when I roll up. And she's just like, I said, I am so, so sorry. And she's like, it's good. It happens to everybody. Like, let me give you a hug. Cause clearly you need you need one. <laughs> That's a person who was put on this earth. Just you know right? what I mean. Like they were there for you because you, a higher power, saw that you needed. Oh them. God! I was like, bless your heart. Thank you so much. <laughs> so I understand uh, why that form exists. <laughs> oh, there's no, there's no doubt why that form exists. It's kind of, it's kind of genius. So, so I signed the form, and I look at Jacqueline, who's, uh, who's about to turn twelve, and so sixth grade mixer, and I said to her, what, um. What is, what is a mixer? Is it a dance? And she goes, it's like a dance, but so much more. And I said, well, what do you do there? And she said, we do so much more than dancing. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> what does that mean? Like, what, what do you do besides dancing? <laughs> and she looks me right in the face and she goes, dodgeball. And I'm like, man, the sixth grade dance with dodgeball. And I kind of wanted to go to a mixer that has dancing (laughs) and so much more, including dodgeball. Okay. uh, You probably shouldn't have said that because I now imagine the entire Uncharted community going, I know what our next event should be. Boom. Uncharted (laughs) April. Mixer. They'll be dancing. (laughs) And practice management discussions and so much more, including dodgeball. Oh, God, help us. Hopefully uh, our liability insurance will cover that one. <laughs> I see. For some reason, I see the fabulous Brian Borkwin and Paul Moderus just demolishing everyone. And I don't know why those guys are the the winning pair in my mind. I but could they, see that. But they totally are. I could see that. And I can also see uh, our friend Blades McKnight sitting on the sidelines <laughs> with under her arm because she's gotten... I I see Dr. Blades McKnight, who's who's that friend that you have who's always injured. I see her showing up being like, guys, I'm out of my crutches. And then immediately (laughs) back into into crutches. Dodgeball injury. Immediate dodgeball injury. Okay. We need, we got to do this podcast. We got to do this podcast. I I am so excited for this one. This is a, this is a really good one. And I think this is going to be another one of those episodes for us where everybody listening is going to think, are they talking about oh, me? Wait, totally. are they, are they, talk- are they oh, talking right. about me? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that we're doing this. We we get a lot of we get a lot of these types of questions. And so let's just put this thing down and make it a resource that people can have. And honestly, so that I can go to conferences and people can ask me this question and I can just say, instead of taking 30 minutes right there, I can say, let me uh, text you something and just <laughs> send them this. Okay, cool. He, here it is. So this comes from the mailbags. Um, we're going to call, we're using a pseudonym. We're going to call this person Kara. Okay. And so Kara writes and she says, hello, exclamation point, which I love. First, I want to say, I love the podcast. My question is that I transferred to a new hospital and I am struggling. There seems to be an overall lack of training. It seems like the shift lead and manager don't care. I often end up dealing with problems above my pay grade because they either won't or don't want to pass uh, to pass it off. The team makes safety mistakes, quality of medicine is missing, and inefficiency that affects everyone. How do I bring this to them? And them, I'm assuming, means, means management. Mm-hmm. There seems to be no accountability for mistakes and no show to add additional training to make the team better. But there is a push to add more pets to the schedule. My worry is that mistakes will be made and patients won't get the quality they deserve. I also have concerns about how aggressive animals are being restrained by certain people. I've mentioned this to my manager and nothing has come of it. If they don't care to hear my concerns, should I speak to the person above my manager that I do know on a personal level? Any advice would be appreciated. I'm struggling with this conflict. Conflict. Uh, if you need any more information, let me know. Okay. So I hear this a lot uh, from people who say the management doesn't seem to care or they're the practice owner and they're like, the, ma- the owner just doesn't seem to care. They're either mm-hmm. they're a seagull manager who flies in, craps on everything, flies away or they just don't 
really they don't want to do the management work, but they also don't want to actually empower their manager. And I think that that is a very common problem. A hundred percent. I agree. Okay. I agree. There's a lot here to unpack. I want to try to stay on instead of getting into the individual issues. When we talk about safety, we talk about mm-hmm. quality of medicine, mm-hmm. we're talking about training. There's so much there that we could unpack, and it's just too much. This is one of the classic uh, disease metaphors, you know, where there's this is a list of symptoms. There's mm-hmm. safety mistakes, there's quality mistakes, there's mm-hmm. animal handling mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. all those things. Those are all symptoms of the problem, which is we don't have training protocols and mm-hmm. we don't have checks and balances. Mm-hmm. So, not having training protocols, not having checks and balances, that is a significant problem. The management not seeming to want to hear from their employee that this is a problem, that's the other big issue. Mm-hmm. So let's try to help Kara with her position, which is how do I take just the management and either get them to do it or get them to let me start to address it? Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. How do you want to start this? Well, I think we have to start where it seems like we always start, which is what how do you how do you get into the right headspace to deal with this challenge, right? I think <clears throat> I think something that is key for you and I both, um, and we seem to mention it pretty much every time we get into one of these discussions is you have to assume good intent from people, you know, and that and I think if you approach it from an angry or frustrated perspective of like, they don't care, they don't want to help the response that you're going to get from them, even if they do sit down and listen to you is not going to be a quality one because they're going to feel attacked or put on the spot. And that doesn't help anyone. So I think when whenever you're going to have a harder conversation like this, you have to start with assuming good intent that they want to hear what you have to say that they are going to listen to you, and that they want to help you solve the problem, right? It is so easy to be frustrated and Mm -hmm. angry. And I think that we all understand that that is very valid feeling, you know, if medication mistakes are getting made or someone's going to get hurt because we're not trained in restraining, especially if I'm the one who's going to get hurt because <laughs> my my assistant can't restrain. And I, I hate this. It doesn't sound selfish, but that's I get mad. I, you know, I do get I do get mad mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to get bitten here and go to the hospital and and maybe be out of work. And I don't, I don't want that. And so it's super understandable why people would get angry and get frustrated when we talk to management that, while 100% understandable, that is counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And so we have got to get into a good headspace to have that conversation. And it's just, it's really easy to feel like management doesn't care or they're lazy or they just don't. Um, understand or they're they're stupid. They don't understand. I think those are base instincts that we have. It's easy to go there. Everyone's fighting a battle that we don't know anything about. It is just you are going to present yourself in a better way, and you're going to be happier if you assume that they want to do good work. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just struggling, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. so I, I do think for the conversation, I think deciding that that they're good people doing their best, assuming that their intentions are good. They just don't know, or they just don't know how to go forward. 
that's helpful. And then the other part of that too is, is it helps me to remember that management can't tell me everything that's going on. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. This for me as a manager um, is one of the biggest frustrations when I, when I work with um, employees that clearly care about what they're doing and come to me and are like, Hey, here's this problem. What I wish every team member understood is that a huge percentage of the work that we have to do as practice managers and or as practice owners behind the scenes is confidential. Like from just from an HR perspective, if there's an issue with certain staff members and I'm working with those staff members, I don't have the capacity to sit down with you, Andy, as a fellow teammate and talk to you about what I'm doing to solve that situation because a lot of that is private and confidential. And I can't tell you how many times I've had team members sit in my office and express a frustration or share a problem just like this with me. And I'm already doing things behind the scenes to mitigate the problem and also to try and make it better for the future, but I can't necessarily share that with them. And so what gets back to me is, well, I don't know why I bother talking to Stephanie because nothing ever happens. And that is the most frustrating thing to hear as a manager because you want to fix the problem and you want to help and you are doing things to try and fix the problem and try and help, but you can't share that necessarily with them. And that is super, super frustrating. So I think knowing, knowing that, knowing that when you talk to, whether it's your manager or your practice owner, that they're always going to be pieces of the behind the scenes puzzle that they cannot talk to you about is just as important as assuming that they have good intentions and that they want to help you solve this problem. I agree. So those are two things that I like to put into my mind to have that conversation with management. The other part of headspace is self-care. Okay. And it can feel like you're trapped. It can feel terribly frustrating. I see people really get burned out in these situations. Mm -hmm. And I think that with good headspace, we can reduce, we need to reduce our own anxiety. And so you can tell from Kara's message, she's stressed. Mm -hmm. She's stressed about, and for about about things that warrant being stressed. Mm-hmm. She's not being irrational here. This is all true. Mm-hmm. But worrying is also like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. It's super easy if you're in this position to super to uh, to future cast and to catastrophize. It's easy to say management isn't listening to me and patients are going to start getting uh, hurt and people are going to start getting bitten and these and, and these things. And those things are true, but it's really easy to spin yourself up to where this feels like an emergency and a catastrophe that mm-hmm. has to be fixed right now or there are going to be dire consequences. And the truth is this practice has probably existed for 25 years doing things the way that they do and things have been okay. And I know I'm walking this weird line right now. I'm not saying that what they're doing is all right. I guess what I'm saying is if you put yourself in a position where you can't sleep at night unless everything changes immediately, you are going to hurt yourself and Mm -hmm. burn yourself out and be miserable Mm -hmm. 
but there's not a productive way. Like that's not a productive way forward because it's not going to happen. So you've got to let that go a bit and say, I understand that this is not right. And I am committed to either changing it or going to a place that does things right. Mm -hmm. But I understand in either of those cases, I am not going to have a solution today. I'm not going to have a solution tomorrow or next week or even this month or next month, you know? Well, and I think you said something important, which is, I think it is okay to accept that for you, this may be something that you feel like needs to change immediately or else mm-hmm. it's not going to work for you. And then, and then it, the, the next part of the conversation is if that is you, the answer to not stress yourself out is to not stay in this practice where change is big and needs to happen and is going to require work and time. The answer may be that you, you need to walk away and you need to find a, another position that is better suited for you. Like it is okay to feel like this is something that I don't, I am not comfortable with. I need this to change faster than it can change in this situation. You also then need to accept ownership for the fact that that probably means that you're going to have to find yourself another position. Totally. The serenity prayer is our friend. I, it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my life. And I, (laughs) I mentally pulled up all the time. God grant me the serenity (laughs) to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And so for Kara, I would say the first words out of my mouth is let's, let's review the serenity prayer. (laughs) You know, (laughs) there are so many times during the day where I have to stop myself and just say, Oh, holy guacamole, please just, just breathe for a second. Just take your breath. I can't control this. Like I need to just take a deep breath. And then let it go and channel my Elsa. Let it go. Just yeah. let it go. And and that doesn't mean let it go forever. Right. Because you it need doesn't to come mean, back to it. It doesn't mean turn a blind eye. Right. And be blissfully ignorant. Right. Yeah. Th- I think you and I are both in the exact same place there. The other thing I always say is, uh, and this is just important for me, these are the mental things that I go through, is remember that you always have options. I think a lot of people in this position end up feeling powerless because management doesn't seem to respond and the conditions they're working in are not acceptable. And so they feel defeated and they feel powerless. You can end up feeling very depressed uh, or, or very anxious about this. You have options. I promise you that you do. The job market is pretty great right now. Mm-hmm. The economy is good. There is a shortage of both veterinarians and veterinary technicians. Mm-hmm. It, you, you have options. Mm-hmm. So you can address this aggressively. You can address it subtly. You can, you can leave. You are not trapped. And I think if you take the serenity prayer and the realization that you always have options, that helps me to shrug off the anxiety uh, to the point that I can function and be okay while while I work on this problem. And the last thing is just set reasonable expectations for yourself about what change can happen and how long it will take and what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Culture change comes from the top. It, ju- it just has to. 
Culture comes from the top. And if that's not you, you're limited in what you can accomplish. That doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you have to throw up your hands. It doesn't mean you have to leave and quit. It doesn't mean that you're going to be unhappy. It doesn't mean that your clinic is going to do subpar medicine. It just means that you may not be able to take your practice to where you would really like it to go. And also remember that when there are other parties involved and you are not the supreme decision maker, and honestly, even if you are the supreme decision maker, you are still going to have to make compromises. Mm -hmm. And so if the only way that you think you can be happy in practice is if your practice is exactly the way you want it to be, you're setting yourself up for a hard go. And guys, practice owners out there, hear my words. You can't make your practice exactly what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Like, and I see people who shrink the will try to grind their employees mm-hmm. into what they want their practice to be. That's a recipe for frustration. Mm-hmm. You are a human being dealing with human beings. Figure out what's important and what's reasonable. Know that you're going to have to compromise in some places and decide what does a compromise look like that you're okay with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so that's headspace. It's getting your expectations set. It's, it's, it's taking some of the feelings of burden and responsibility and anxiety off of your shoulders. It's believing that the people in management, the practice owner, they're good people. They want to do what's right. We don't know what they're up against and they may be working on things that they, they can't tell us. Mm-hmm. All those things help me to get into a healthy headspace to start working on the problem. So when you're in that headspace, what, how, how do you strategize your approach for this? Cool. Um, seek first to understand it, it is the first piece of advice that I give people. Let me, let me understand the context here. Uh, I remember one of the stories I, that I, tell a lot in some of my lectures and I'm going to unpack the whole thing here, but essentially I remember starting off as a new veterinarian and I was in this big clinic. We had 28 vets, uh, all general practice. Mm-hmm. And it was a three story vet hospital in DC. And I, I, I would love it there. I was very happy there. Um, it was a great, great, great first job. I remember wanting to make changes and I would look at the practice on my first day. I looked at the practice and I said, Oh, we can do that better. Oh, we can totally do this better. Oh, I don't know why they do it that way. They should do it this way. And I had all of these ideas about things that could be changed or I thought they should be changed. And those ideas ended up systematically getting shot down and, and causing resentment in some other people. And the reason was because I did not take any time to figure out why things were the way that they were. Mm-hmm. You know, everything happens for a reason in your practice. Mm-hmm. And it may be a really good reason that you haven't thought of. It mm-hmm. may be a really good reason that's based on the personalities of the people that you work with. It may also be a really good reason that got fired three years ago. And you're like, oh, we did this because it was how Carol really wanted to do it. But she left and moved to Utah. Mm-hmm. and But we still do it that way. <laughs> There's a story I love about um, about cooking the roast right and so it's the story it's a it's a story uh it's a jewish family and i don't know why it's a jewish family but that that's the way the story was always told to me so it's a jewish family and there's a mother and she's cooking with her daughter and they're making a roast 
And so the mother says, you know, we do this and we prepare it this way. And then we cut the ends off of the roast and then we put it into the pan and then we put it into the oven. And the little girl says, well, why do we cut the ends off the roast? And mom says, well, that's just how you make a roast. And the girl goes, but why? And mom says, well, because that's just how, that's how you do it. And the little girl in classic kid fashion says, but why? Like, why do you <laughs> cut this off? And, and mom says, because, well, that's, that's how, that's how you do it. That's how my mother taught me to do it. That's how she did it. And the little girl said, well, let's ask, let's ask grandma. And so they called grandma and she says to her mother, mom says to her mother, why do we cut the ends off the roast? And, and mother just said, that's how you make a roast. That's how you do it. And, <laughs> and the daughter continues, well, why, why, why? And finally she says, well, that's how my mom did it. And so they decide to go to the nursing home. And see great grandmom who's 90 years old. And they go in and she says, ask great grandmom about the roast. And the little girl says, great grandma, why do we cut the ends off the roast? And she says, oh, well, your great grandfather and I had it. We didn't have a whole lot. And we had only one pan we could bake in. And it was too small for the roast. And so we cut the ends off so it fit in the pan. And that's just, I just got in the habit. And that's why we cut the ends off of roast because three generations back, the pan was too small. Mm -hmm. And I love that story because we see that stuff in vet medicine all the, all the, all the time. All the time. All the time. Understanding why things happen, whether it's because there's a valid reason that you need to understand or because asking the questions helps your team, your manager, your boss come to the realization that maybe maybe we don't need to do it this way anymore. Maybe there's another way to do it. Those questions really matter. And so ask those questions and don't do it in a challenging way. Do it in an informal way. I like to say stuff to people like, hey, you know, I noticed that we do things this way. Why, why is that? Why do we do it that way? Have you ever worked at a practice that does it another way or this different way? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not challenging. I'm not proposing anything. Mm-hmm. I want the stakes to be as low as possible. We are just talking. Mm-hmm. And I will say that it will be the fourth thing that I say in a conversation out of seven things that get said. Mm-hmm. You know, I just mm-hmm. bury it. And I, you know, again, it's not a big deal. I just want to understand. And so those types of conversations about, uh, training and animal handling about checks and balances. Have we ever had a check system on our medications? I'm just wondering. I know a lot of other practices do that. Those are the soft conversations that people open up to and they tend to get us moving in a productive way. And I think um, this is an area of opportunity for someone who is a new employee like Kara, who's just started in a practice, Um, but also from a manager perspective, this is an excellent opportunity to utilize bringing new blood into your practice. And so when I have new people who are onboarding, one of the things that I ask them to do is when they have a question about something, please ask multiple people and write down what the answer is and ask them why they're doing it that way. And then when I sit down and do one-on-ones, I say, what was the number one question that you got different answers to? And I talk to them about it and I want to know a, what are the different answers that they got? And B, what was the reason why? Because that helps figure out, are, are these situations where we're doing it this way because that's the way they 
that when they started here 15 years ago, they were told to do it. So they keep doing it that way. Or are we doing it this way because we actually have no system or protocol or process for it? Because what that does for the employee and for you as a leader is it allows you to identify those areas of opportunity and be able to bring solutions to the table. Because you can start to talk about it like, okay, this is something that is happening. This is a challenge for us, but this is an area of opportunity. And it seems like it would be pretty easy for us to create a protocol for this, don't you think? This is why you're beautiful, sparkly Yoda. That's (laughs) that's what you are. You're beautiful Yoda. (laughs) Because you have knowledge and skills like that. (laughs) Your Jedi powers are so strong. Love it. That's exactly. I'm, I'm picturing I'm picturing a very purple sparkly Yoda right now. <laughs> oh yeah. The adorableness of baby Yoda with the knowledge of wrinkly old Yoda. I'll I'll take that. <laughs> yes. I I bow to you. That no, but, uh, but, I love it. But for real because it it um uh, look, I I need help. You guys as a manager like and for for me this is part of what resonated about this. Um, with me is the fact that you don't uh, my I feel like sometimes I just want to say to my team you have no idea all the things that I'm dealing with mm-hmm. the reality is you can't be in all places at all times and you can't see all of the things and you have to be able to utilize your team and nothing is going to make that easier for you than leveraging them to try and help figure out where those challenge areas are, but then also empower them as a group to say, look, as a manager, if it's something you care about or as a practice owner, if you're like, I want a protocol or a process to go this way, you probably already have that thing set. If it's that important to you, you've probably already decided and everybody on the team knows you do this thing this way. But if it isn't, you probably, it probably doesn't matter. And I will be the first one to tell my team, there are a lot of things in this practice that I don't really care how we do them as long as this is the end result. And those are the things that you absolutely get your team involved with creating the solution themselves and figuring out how do we work together and solve this problem. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. And the team gets to participate and be excited about okay, well, let's talk about this. Why are we doing it this way? We have all these different answers. Like, what is the answer that we all together want to create to be the way that we're going to do it from now on? Right. I agree. Back to the employee side, the process that I that I talk to a lot of people about, it just tips for strategy to, to try to come in when you're not the manager, you're not able to delegate to other people, let's say right? Mm-hmm. So it's just you. Bring solutions, not problems. Mm-hmm. Again, classic advice, bring solutions, not problems. Bringing problems to your manager and going, people aren't trained. Did you know mm-hmm. that people aren't trained? Because I'm just looking around and like people are definitely not trained. And what you're doing is saying, here's a problem that wasn't maybe on your radar or it wasn't mm-hmm. at the top of your priority list. And now I'm giving it to you. And mm-hmm. yes, quote <laughs> Training your people, quote unquote, just like Mm -hmm. broad category, Mm -hmm. training Mm -hmm. your people isn't, it's an elephant. It is a massive thing. And you're like, here's a massive thing (laughs) that I'm going to release into your office and close the door. Have a good afternoon. (laughs) Click. Yeah. Oh my God. That's, that's so, you just, 
that is exactly how I feel sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> as a manager and as a team leader, when people come in and they're like, let me let Cornish Pixies loose in your office and I'm just going to close the door behind and I'll me. Just, I'll, be, I'll be at lunch if you need me. I don't, I'm not, I don't have my phone with me. Just, I'll, I'll be back at 2.30. Click. And they close and then, the door. And then you feel like Neville hanging off the chandelier. Like that is a hundred percent. That's it. And uh, yeah. So that every manager out there has had that experience and knows exactly that feeling. Uh-huh. I need people who are not the manager to go, Oh, that's how that feels. <laughs> you know, that's how that feels. It's like, um, if you're not a manager, it's like a best, the best analogy I can give is like a parent of when you're just holding it together. Right. And then all of a sudden your kid looks at you at 7.45 p.m. and says, oh, there's a project I'm supposed to do for school tomorrow. (laughs) And you're like, say what? Like, that's the feeling that the manager gets when you're like, hey, uh, you uh, OSHA is a thing that (laughs) that we're not doing. Uh, We're not. Uh And again, totally true. Totally valid. Just like the school project that got dropped on the kid today, right? Totally true and valid, but the feeling of the person receiving this message, having the elephant crammed into her office, it's horrible. All right, so we got to avoid that. How do we do that? We come with solutions, not problems. We don't say, hey, training is a real problem. Um, Unless we're asked. We come with, hey... I would be interested in doing this mm-hmm. or there's a program that I heard about that I would really like to be a part of, or there's this thing called uncharted that I would really like to join so that we can get a lot of resources and training and communication stuff and staff passes and things like that to help train our people. Mm-hmm. I would like to be in this. I will go to the conference. I will do the things I will bring the knowledge back and and blah, blah, blah. But I am willing to take, the lead. Did you see what I did there? That was real. That was really good. All right, let's uh, go on. Shh, let's shh. Don't tell them. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Come with <laughs> solutions, not problems. Um, do few things. That's the other. That's the other. That's the other place that people really blow their face off is that they're like, oh, staff training is a problem. I will take it. I will do staff training. No, you won't. You have a full time job. Doing other stuff. Right. And I love you for just seeing your practice and being like, I need to change this. I love you for that. It's wonderful. Do not do this to yourself. Mm -hmm. But what you can, what you can do and what falls right on what you just said, which is bring a solution to the table is to say, Kara feels really strongly about feeling concerned that aggressive animals are being restrained in a way that's going to get someone hurt, I assume, from what she said. Mm -hmm. So go to your manager and say, hey, I have noticed this. This is why I'm concerned about it. Can I help in this way? Start small. Pick one thing off of the list. She gave us like five things that she's dealing with, and none of them are less important than the others, but there are some elephants in there. So pick a not elephant, or if all you have is elephants, pick one piece of the elephant and bite it off. I love that you said that. That is so true. The number one way that people fail in this problem is they look at her list, and you're exactly right. None of these are less important than the others. 
And so they say, well, they ha- we have to do them all. And we have to do them all at the same time and start now. And then they just, it's un, it's impossible. It is a Herculean task. And especially if you're not the big cheese and you don't have a lot of delegation power, it's, it's more than you can do. And we've all done this and we take on too much. We take on a bunch of things at once. We do them all halfway three quarters of the way, none of them work as well as they could. And we are completely burned out, frazzled, spread too thin. We're unhappy. We feel like failures Mm -hmm. and nothing sticks. That is the most common path to failure that I see. Do few things, do one thing and really do it. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you based on what we're saying. It feels like the animal handling thing is a thing. I think that Kara could totally, if this is her thing, this is the first thing to start with. And so you so you go and you say, this is a thing that I see that I would really like to be a part of. I would love to take the lead on this. Can I start to do some things here? Can I put together a program and you guys can approve it? And I love that because that keeps them in the loop, Right. And uh, if I have people who aren't, they're not going to delegate full power to me. I say, I will put together a plan and I need your approval. Mm-hmm. And then I'm keeping them involved. And a lot of time that, that gets them what they need so that they're not afraid and they'll let me go forward. Mm-hmm. And so I put that plan together and I come back and just be super picky. Do not get burned out from this. When I do this program, right, when I start to do the first thing, oftentimes what's going to happen is the is Kara's going to feel a lot of pressure to say, here's a 12 month training program. My advice, this comes from experience, right? I can show you some scars here. My advice is make a pilot program, Mm -hmm. right? Just say, I would like to do a session on this. Mm -hmm. I would like to get fear free certified. I would like to get Dr. Sophia Yin's book on animal handling and review it myself and start to work with some of the kennel assistants, mm-hmm. right? Do a pilot program so that you can see what you're up against, so that you can see how willing people are to hear this, how receptive they are going to be. You can see who is going to support you and you can use those alliances. You can build those friendships because you're going to need some cheerleaders mm-hmm. and you're going to need some people who are going to be on your team. Mm-hmm. Start to figure out who's going to be on your team. And you can't do that until you start doing the thing. And a lot of people will talk a big game, but they won't be there for you when it actually goes down. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can learn that stuff. How supportive is management going to be? Are they going to back you up? Are they not going to back you up? At least you know what you're walking into. The last part I'll say with this about picking few things, most of us wildly overestimate, overestimate what we can accomplish in a year. We think we can do a ton of stuff in 2020. You can't, right? You'll do much less than you think that you will. But we wildly underestimate what we can do in five years or 10 years. And so start small and just put one foot in front of the other And it will feel like you're going so slowly. And in five years, you will not believe how far you've come. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the strategy for me. The one last piece of strategy I will say is when you talk to management, same thing if if you're management and you're talking about uh, talking to your team, do not try to make them feel guilty. Stay away from that being like, oh, we got people who are going to get bitten. The manager hears that as 
you have failed to keep your people safe. Mm-hmm. And now I'm intervening. That triggers. That's not what you're saying. That's not true. But that's how they feel it, right? Even even if they don't think it, they feel it. Mm-hmm. And that 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 emotion, emotion drives people. We know it does. And so you just want to stay away from that guilt button. And the way that we stay away from that guilt button is we talk about challenges in the practice that all practices face or many practices face, or we talk about the challenges of veterinary medicine. Right. And I, you'll hear me say those words a lot. The reason I say those words is because I don't want people to feel guilty. And one of the ways I can take the guilt away is to say, this is a universal challenge that everyone in medicine wrestles with. You're Mm -hmm. no guilt. You're no different. You're not less than others. You're not worse than others. This is just, this is something that everyone in our industry has to Mm -hmm. deal with. And this is, this is the challenge that's on the field. Mm -hmm. Let me help with this specific challenge because I know you have lots of other challenges that you're wrestling with. And that, I think that that approach, that, that feel, that's very, very important in getting people to let you do what you want to do and them not feeling resentful of what you're doing. Um, I've seen people have conversations with managers and their heart's in the right place and their head's in the right place. And what happens is they say something that makes the manager feel guilty. And that manager, for reasons they don't even understand and they may not even realize they're doing it, they'll undermine the program. They Mm. undermine the program because they're like, oh, you think that I failed. You're making me feel like I failed. I'm going to show you that it is not as easy as you think. Mm -hmm. And so subconsciously, they'll Mm -hmm. cut your legs out from under you. They'll make your job harder than it has to be. They'll drag their feet. They'll schedule meetings at at inopportune times when other people aren't going to be there or when the key decision maker people that you need, they're not going to be there. And it's just this little stuff. And it's like this passive aggressive crap. But they don't even know that they're doing it. But it's a self-defense mechanism. They they feel like they failed. And the salve for them will be if you try and you fail as well. Because then it's not, it's not, it's not about them dropping the ball. It's about this challenge being bigger than people think. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I, does that, I mean, I don't know, Steph, am I explaining that it, well? Totally. I think for me, um, I, I circle it back to when someone when someone on my team comes to me with a problem and it has, especially when it has layers that I can't talk to them about what I'm doing behind the scenes or what backstory they may not um, be aware of. And then I hear um, the team say things like, like I have had team members say behind my back end to my face. Well, I don't know why we try because you never do anything about it. And that hurts. And I've been in that position where, it it makes it very difficult f- for you as a human being when you feel that and you feel that guilt or you feel that shame or that frustration or maybe they're bringing a problem to you that you weren't even aware of but you've got 25 other problems on your plate and that problem that they bring to you is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's really easy to get into a mindset of, well, should I even bother trying? Like, And even if you're not intentionally or unintentionally trying to sabotage something, it's easy to let your frustration and your guilt and the, or shame, um, 
affect how you interact with everybody. And that in and of itself makes a difference because if you have, you know, the one negative Nancy and everybody else is willing to get on board, that that can submarine things just as fast as someone who's actively trying to sabotage it. So I think yeah. that goes back to the very beginning where we said that you have to assume good intent. You have to approach it from a place of kindness and, and a wanting to help or at, you're going to derail the train before you even leave the station. Yeah. I, I think, I think in a, an analogy would be like if you were, if you're a technician or you're a veterinarian, uh, an associate vet and someone in your practice comes up to you and goes, oh, you know, we take our doctors or our technicians are spending way too much time in the exam rooms. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to show you how to turn these exam rooms over and keep clients really happy. Mm -hmm. And they say that to you and you're working really hard and you're trying to do everything and you're handling qu client questions at some level, you want that person to fall on their butt. Don't right. you? You right. totally do. You want them to just get, you want them to get derailed and have the hardest day with the toughest clients. And I, I'm, I feel guilty for saying that I would have that emotion, but I totally would. I, at some totally. level, it's I would human nature. Oh, it's human nature. And so would you, that's the point I'm trying to make yep. is you do not want to be the person who comes in and says, you're not doing this right. Our appointments are taking too long. I'm going to show you how to do it because human nature will be to want you to fail. Instead you go, gosh, guys, we're working really hard and our appointments are taking a long time. What, what can we do? What can we do to try to to speed things up. Are there, are there resources that we need? I'm, I'm happy to do the research and figure out what, what could help us. You know, I, I know you guys are doing a great job and working really, really hard. I, how can, how can we be better supported? I'm willing to try to build those systems. Mm -hmm. What do you think? How can I work with you? Mm -hmm. That's a whole different approach because it takes the guilt away. So that's what we're trying to recreate. So if you're approaching it from a place of good intention and strategy like that, you're, you are wanting to, you're assuming good intent, you're coming to the table, looking at how can I help bring a solution, not just let me unload this problem in your office. How, how do you, what tactic do, tactics do you use to try and solve it for yourself? Because at the end of the day, you're still Kara feeling like, you're super frustrated because all of these things are happening in your practice. How do you help decide, is this change worth sticking around to see whether it happens? Or do I need to, is this something I can't live with? And do I need to look for something else? Yeah. The tactics that I would use if I'm Kara. So we've got our head in the right place and we're, we're being forgiving. And yeah. And, and also we've kind of tried to get expectations in check and all that sort of stuff. The tactics I'm using is Kara. Um, I would like to have check-in meetings with the management. I would like to have a reason to go into their office. You know what I mean? To stay in touch. Uh, where it's not me walking into their office asking, hey, can I talk to you? And then next week being like, hey, can I talk to you again? Mm -hmm. I, I don't like that. I'd like to have a reason to go in there and just mm -hmm. talk to them about how things are going in a way that's their idea. And so I might ask for check-in meetings. Hey, could, could I have a check-in or, or, Hey, I really want to do this training thing and, and do what we sort of talked about before. And then say, could you and I have a quick check-in meeting maybe on Fridays just to, just to catch up. 
And then that way I can say, hey, are you available for our check-in meeting? It's Friday. Um, the other way to kind of get that time is to ask for mentorship meetings. Hey, I really, I want to do a good job. I want to be a leader in practice. I was wondering if we could have some mentorship meetings and I could kind of ask you for advice on some things. And, and you know, and you, you're flattering a little bit, you know what I mean? You're, you're, uh, you're giving them a reputation of being a mentor, but, but mentorship meetings can be a good way to get FaceTime with management in a way that they're okay with that feels like their idea. And so that type of access can help you get your programs done. Again, I'm going to be super selective in the programs that I pick. And then I'm going to be the change that I want to see in the world. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I am up to speed on animal handling. I am going to get excited about animal handling. I'm going to get uh, educated on animal handling. I'm going to show that this is a priority for me. And I'm just, I'm going to try to be the change that I see in the world and not in a holier than thou way, just I'm going to walk the walk. And if I walk the walk, honestly, that is a powerful thing. I'm going to try to find allies. And that's what we talked about as far as doing a pilot program. Mm -hmm. I guarantee Kara is not the only one in her practice who sees this. Mm -hmm. I guarantee she's not the only one who wants to do better. I know she is. She needs to find those other people who feel like she feels and she needs to Voltron with them. You know, they need to come together to become mm -hmm. a force in the practice. And just even if the other people aren't willing to take the lead, just having some supporters, just having some people to validate the scenery, just having people who show up enthusiastically for the training sessions that she's going to do, even if they're voluntary training sessions. And maybe that's how we start is to say, hey, guys, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to present something. It's totally voluntary. Mm -hmm. um, but if you get people who show up and take part, that validates what Kara's trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is mm -hmm. valuable. So find those allies. I love it. I the On the flip side of that, I would say for Kara, if I think you have to do your due diligence. I think it, you have to start exactly like you said with being the change you want to see. You have to be walking your talk. And if you're doing that and you are investigating and you're asking the but whys and you're you're trying to get the answers, um, when you get all the answers and you've done that due diligence, if you look around and everybody else in the practice really is um, – really does want to just continue status quo and we're going to keep doing things the way that we've always done them and no one is interested in change, then I think the flip side of that is to recognize that this is probably not the fit for you because this is a situation where you don't have the capacity. You need those things. You need to be able to have people who are willing to help. Um, you need to be able to find some cheerleaders, even if it's only a couple. And if you look around and you see that, for me, that's validation that maybe this is not the right place or space or time for you to be here and, and be trying to implement change. And that's, and that's okay. Yeah. You, you have to separate shade and apathy. Okay. Those are two different things. Okay. Shade and apathy. So let's say that you're caring, you're going to be the change you want to see in the world and you're working on animal handling and, and maybe that you, you're going to have some totally voluntary sessions because that's what mm -hmm. management has kind of signed off on. They're like, I'm not going to pay people to come in, but if you want to do these things, you can, whatever. Okay. Okay. Um, know that haters are going to hate. Mm -hmm. There are people who don't like change and you know that. Mm -hmm. And there's people who uh, just don't 
they're not going to want to do better and be better. And I wish that wasn't true, but it is. And so haters are going to hate. Okay. So there will be people. I always say when you have an idea, when you have something you care about, uh, it's, it's like a mine cart, you know, like one of those carts that rolls on the tracks. Um, like think Gringotts bank, you know, uh-huh. okay. um, there's three kinds of people. There's people who will help you push. There's people who are going, who don't care. And, they, but they're, but they'll ride in the cart. Uh-huh. That uh-huh. means, Hey, if we start doing this new kind of animal handling, I'll do it. Right. I don't, right. I don't really care. I just, you just tell me how to hold the pet and I'll hold it. Right. I don't, right. You know, so they, they'll ride in the cart and there's mm-hmm. people who are going to push against you. Right. And so the people who push against you know that they will always be there. The goal for you is not to win those people over. They may not come over and be champions for you. The goal is to get them to shut up and get in the cart. Right. Like that, that, that's really it. No matter what you do in life, if you start to make changes, people will push back against you. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will say this, uh, hopefully not starting a fire here, but um, I believe in uh, drug restriction in veterinary practices. I believe in four eyes save lives. I believe that deeply. Mm -hmm. I believe that we can decrease suicide in veterinary medicine by making it so that whenever possible, and that this is not possible everywhere, I know, but whenever possible, it should take two people to get to drugs that might be used to Mm -hmm. end a human life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I believe that. And saying that practices should take those steps and really be smart and about controlling their drugs to keep employees safe that does not mean you can't do other things. It doesn't mean that we don't care about student debt. It doesn't mean about any of that stuff. So I have said that and I said that publicly and I have gotten, uh, uh, some hate, some real hate about, about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I understand, I, I listen to those people. I understand. I'm not trying to start a fight. I, you know, I, I understand that, but this is something to me that seems obvious. Um, and, and it's totally voluntary. I'm not trying to mandate this for anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, I believe that we should talk about this and vet, vets that are able to do it and want to do it should definitely do it. And I still get, I still get hate for that. I have a choice to make and Kara has a choice to make mm-hmm. when she starts to try to do these things. And you listener have a choice to make mm-hmm. when there's a thing that you want to do, know that some people are not going to like it. They're just not, it's just the way that the world works. And so mm-hmm. you have a choice to make. And the choice is how do you want to suffer? How do right. you want to suffer? Right. Do you want to suffer because there is a person or two people in your practice that cross their arms and roll their eyes when you okay. do this and it makes, and you, ha- and it, that makes you feel awkward and you don't like it or it hurts your feelings. Do you want to suffer because your feelings are hurt by those people? Or do you want to suffer because your practice doesn't handle animals safely and, um, and people are in danger mm-hmm. and no one's saying anything about it. And those are the choices that you make and you're going to choose one and not choosing is choosing. So how do you want to suffer? Right. That's shade is when people don't like what you're doing. And so they roll their eyes, they cross their arms, they don't show up. They, you know, they, they got, they got, they garble or they talk trash about goody two shoes, Kara, who's doing this thing, right? That's shade. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have that choice to make of how do you want to suffer? I think that you can overwhelm those people. When you get enough allies together and you get people who are on board, you can overwhelm those people. You can make those people shut up and get in the cart or you can squash them with the cart if enough people are pushing it. Um, so th- that's shade. Okay. Apathy is different. Apathy is when nobody talks trash. They don't, you know what I mean? They don't show They don't bash you. They don't push. You, they just don't care. They don't care. And guys, that's much worse. Mm-hmm. 
that's my worry for Kara mm-hmm. is if she says, I want to do this, I want to start you know, making these changes. If the practice, if everybody shrugs their shoulders mm-hmm. and then doesn't show up, they don't talk trash. They don't roll their eyes. They just mm-hmm. don't do it. Mm-hmm. They don't. That's so much harder to overcome. <laughs> and for me, apathy is what generally drives people out of a practice more yeah. so than shade. Shade people will often buckle down and say, I'm going to, I'm going to push, I'm going to push back or I'm going to do this and we can get the management on board and we can win this. Right. When people just don't care, God, yeah. it's so hard to do anything about it. And so, so that puts us in a place of when do you leave, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. do you cut bait and go home? Mm-hmm. I believe that the last part of this is when you've decided what you're going to do and how you're going to push is that you need to set deadlines for change. And when Mm -hmm. I say that, I'm not saying you set deadlines like, Hey gang, we're going to have this thing done, this program done by this date. That kind of deadline is great. And I'm not telling you not to use it because it really does. Having deadlines gets things done. This is an internal deadline for you though. Okay. So if I'm Kara and I'm frustrated, I'm going to say, I am going to work on animal handling mm-hmm. for six months mm-hmm. and write it on your calendar so that you remember the day, mm-hmm. right? For me, mm-hmm. I tend to use big landmarks by like holidays. Mm-hmm. I'll say by Valentine's day, mm-hmm. I want to see what happens or by my daughter's birthday in June. Mm-hmm. That's the, cause I can remember that deadline, right? Sure. Sure. But you're, you're putting a, a, a line in the, on the map, right? And you're saying, I'm going to see where we are and I'm going to do my best for three months or for six months. I'm going to do my best until Halloween. And then at Halloween, I'm going to stop and I am going to take an honest look at the practice and what has happened. And guys, if you're Kara and you work your butt off for six months and you look around and you're like, I do not think that anything has changed Mm -hmm. or I do not think that we have moved in. uh, I don't feel like we're moving forward. Mm -hmm. It's time to go. Mm -hmm. That is it. You have given it a shot. You have pushed hard. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, you have given it time. Mm -hmm. And at this point, if you keep going, you're, you're just putting your head in the sand. You know what I mean? Like, You have done this. You have given it your best shot. You have seen whether people have responded or not. You have felt the shade or not. You have seen apathy or not. At some point, if you're like, I gave it my best shot. I was the change I wanted to see in the world. I do not feel like I have been, I have accomplished what I need to accomplish Mm -hmm. to feel happy here. Mm -hmm. Then it's time to leave. And I feel like that deadline doesn't get talked a lot about a lot, but I think it's vital because I am a super positive guy, just like you are. I'm super optimistic. I'm a can do person, but I am also not going to get taken advantage of, which means I am not going to go into the practice and give my heart and soul for five years. Right. And, and be ignored and to, and to feel like I'm not making a change and have people Mm -hmm. step on me. I'm not going to do that. So I am going to hold on to my positivity. I'm going to hold on to my optimism. I'm going to hold on to my enthusiasm. I am not going to let people take that away from me. Mm -hmm. Right. That is mine. And I'm going to protect myself so that I do not lose those things. And Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this, I want you to protect yourself. I want you to work hard and do good and, and let your soul shine. And if you are not getting what you need, 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you are giving your best and, and, and you are not making headway, mm-hmm. I want you to put a day on the calendar mm-hmm. and I want you to look at it. And if you don't get what you need by that time, if you're not able to make the, your practice into a place that you want to stay mm-hmm. by that time, mm-hmm. I want you to hit that deadline and then I want you to get your resume out there. That's mm-hmm. what I want for you, mm-hmm. right? Because you're too valuable. The job market is good. You know, there's a lot of practices. There's a lot of uncharted practices that really love yeah. their staff and take great care of them um, and prioritize culture as a, a guiding light in practice. And they want to make places that are happy to work. Those places are out there. Mm-hmm. And so set that deadline mm-hmm. and be the change that you want to see in the world. And then at that time, make a clear assessment of are we moving forward or are we not? And if you are not moving forward, then you can look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I tried. I gave it three months of really working, of, you know, pushing hard and nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. And now it's time for me to go. And this also addresses the stuff that management can't tell you about. They can't tell you that they're having meetings or that someone is on double secret probation. They can't tell you any of that stuff. But in six months, if they were going to move forward, you should have seen that change. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So now you're being fair to the manager and to management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if it's still not moving, then you have been fair and it's time to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. That's all I got. What, what, how would you put put a bow on this for us, Steph? Oh man. I know. I, I think you're, I think you're perfectly right. And I think you hit it for me when you said that, um, life is too short. And there are too many awesome employers out there to to keep yourself somewhere where you truly are miserable. And, and I think you and I are both 100% on the same page, which is that we hope as a, as a shining light in your practice that you will want to put in the time and the effort and the energy to try and make change happen. Um, but if at the end of the day you, you can't, then don't, don't get stuck there. Um, don't, don't do that to yourself because I see every single day in the manager groups that I participate in, oh my gosh, we, you know, we've been trying to hire a experienced assistant or we've been trying to hire an LVT and you guys, the, the, the jobs are out there and there are so many awesome employers and, and, but if you're, if you can see the light, if you can, if you can, Give yourself the time and change does happen. It's really about reminding yourself. I have to remind myself of this all the time leading the team. Like Rome is not built in a day. Change is hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard for everybody and it is slow. Cultural change in particular is very slow and you have to be willing to make it happen. And And I really think for that to happen, you have to, there has to be some bit of magic that you see there. And if you can see that, stick it out, grind hard, but know what your, know what your um, tipping point is. And I, and I think it's, I love the idea of putting it on the calendar or having mm-hmm. it in your head with a, with a landmark date that works for your life to remember, like, this is, this is where I'm going to evaluate it and see, see what happens. But <laughs> I love the idea of asking your management for help um, as a manager. Gosh, if I had a team member who came to me and was like, hey, can I sit down and check in with you regularly about this this thing? Oh my God, I would be in in heaven um, because I, you know, I love to see my team take an initiative. I want to know what they care about and what's important to them. And let me tell you, as a manager, if I know that it 
matters and that we're talking about shade and not apathy, you bet your ass that I'm going to work 10 times harder to try and help you make that happen than if I feel like all you're doing is walking into my office and releasing the elephant and shutting the door behind you because that makes me so frustrated and intentionally and unintentionally want to work even less hard to help solve the problem because it's human nature. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Thanks for doing this one with me. I really like this episode. This is a lot of fun. I hope, uh, Kara, I hope that there was some helpful truths in here for you. Yes. And I hope, uh, I hope this helps you formulate a plan for what's going to work for you. Totally. If people uh, are like, oh, Kara got to ask a question and she even got a pseudonym. Um, <laughs> I would like to ask a question and get a pseudonym. What can they do? Yeah, they can email us, right? We, we've got a podcast email podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's it. And uh, we, we, we love seeing what comes through the mailbag. You guys have the best questions. Thank you. All right, gang. Take it easy. We'll talk to you later See on. See you guys soon. And that is what we got. Guys, if you have questions for me and Stephanie, shoot them to us in an email. Give us uh, enough background information so that we can really dig into your problem for you. And if you have a pseudonym that you want to have, just include it in the message. I love that part. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. Podcast at unchartedvet.com. Also, feel free to check out my other podcast. It's Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. It's all medicine. We have episodes called How Do You Treat That, which are 20 minutes long. We walk through how to treat cases. They're aimed at uh, doctors, but also made for technicians, managers, front desk staff. Easy, accessible, super, super practical. Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I hope you like it. Take care, gang. Happy holidays again. Bye-bye.